Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 37. Today is Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. I'm your host, William Galloway. You can give me a follow on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Folks, it is March and it is madness and so much more. It's crazy. There's so much going on. College basketball is the topic. And today we're going to talk about it with Blake Lovell on the Galloway Podcast, folks. We're going to talk about coronavirus. We're going to go through Alabama football. We're going to go through our What's New segment. We're going to talk to Blake, and then we're going to go around Alabama athletics, as we always do here on the Galloway Podcast. So let's go ahead and jump right into it with What's New. The coronavirus is new. I think the last time we had the Galloway Podcast, it was episode 36, obviously, and coronavirus was not a huge concern. Now, it is a concern, unless it's not unless you don't really care, unless you're really, you don't wash your hands, which you definitely should. But it's happening, and it's, the reason we're talking about that is because it's affecting college sports. It's affecting professional sports. It's it's affecting travel and college spring break, and you name it, coronavirus has touched it in this world because it's all over the earth and it's spreading. It's not good, but at the end of the day, wash your hands, be safe. I'm not a doctor, and For that reason, we're going to continue talking about what else is new here on the Galloway Podcast. Really big news in Tuscaloosa. The new strength and conditioning coaches are in to replace Scott Cochran, as Scott Cochran is now headed to Georgia to be the special teams coordinator. He's already tweeted a video from there. He's fully involved in Athens under Coach Kirby Smart. So out in Tuscaloosa, and what do you replace Scott Cochran with? One of the best, you replace him with two. How about two of the best that come from Indiana? David Ballou, the director, was named director of sports performance for Alabama football, and then Dr. Matt Rhea will be the director of performance sciences and uh, both are very excited to be in Tuscaloosa and they have kind of tweeted some plans um, and some graphics of kind of things of where especially Dr. Dr. Rhea of where the direction that he wants to take the program when you involve the new sports science center when you involve Jeff Allen when you involve Dr. Kane and the medical staff and Dr. Waldrop and everybody that's affiliated with Alabama athletics it was really a no-brainer for those two so they're here they're happy to be here they've expressed that on social media and so look for a big difference in Alabama strength and conditioning program it's going to be a lot more science-based and a lot more yeah 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 based instead of all the rah. it's going to be science and and numbers and performance and analytics to go along with the beautiful sports science center that is shooting up currently in Tuscaloosa. Also new regarding Alabama football and what's new Tua Tunga Vailoa had his uh, Ian Rappaport reported yesterday via Twitter that Tua had his four month scans and uh, it was on his dislocated hip obviously and sources described them as very good with no concerns and Rappaport said essentially as positive as possible accordingly he'll now begin the slow progression of activity to get his body ready for play that was Ian Rappaport via Twitter and so great news surrounding Tua after his uh, what essentially you would call four-month uh, kind of scan and checkup that just recently happened. Um, the NFL draft, NFL combine, I mean, you had Alabama players go off. You had Henry Ruggs run a four-two-seven. Jerry Judy show off a lot of his moves. The Alabama football uh, combine itself, or like Alabama's pro day, rather is what they call it, will be March 24th. That'll be in Tuscaloosa. And look for a lot of seniors, especially the ones that didn't get the uh, draft combine 
invite to kind of try and make some noise with Alabama's Pro Day. That'll be on March 24th. Uh, Tua will not be ready by then, but there's a possibility that he will have his own Pro Day, and that'll be, I think, April 9th, but stay tuned for that via Twitter. Moving to the hardwood now and what's new, Dayton basketball. How about Anthony Grant, folks? I know a lot of you Alabama fans were not pleased with his performance when he was in Tuscaloosa and the record that he had and the lack of success, only going to the tournament one time, um, NIT multiple times. But it, when you look at it, and we'll talk about this with Blake here in a minute, it wasn't the right fit. Alabama was not the right fit for Anthony Grant. He's now 29-2. and two. He's number three in the AP poll. And the Dayton Flyers are playing some of the entire best basketball in the entire college basketball uh, across the board. I mean, they're playing so well, and Grant is coaching really well. He's found his niche. He's got his guys. His players are playing to the top of their performance, and they're hitting a stride going into March. I would not be surprised if we saw them in Atlanta for the Final Four. I know that might be a stretch because we have no idea what's going to happen. But on that topic, let's go ahead and bring in Blake Lovell, who will talk about college basketball and preview the SEC tournament. And so I'm really excited for you to listen to this. So let's jump into that here on the Galloway Podcast. Joining the Galloway Podcast now is Blake Lovell. He covers the SEC and college basketball for a variety of podcasts and media outlets. Blake, how are you doing this afternoon? Hey, doing well, man. Thanks for having me on. And my first question to you is, uh, when am I going to get one of these hats? Because uh, I see these hats all across uh, social media. I feel like I need to have one now that I'm on the podcast. Absolutely, for sure. We can we can set that up. <laughs> I need to place another order. I want to do some some more merchandise, um, but hats and koozies and, and everything. I can I can send it to you for sure. Um, well, Blake, it is uh, it is the middle of or approaching the middle of March, and the most active kind of time of the year. It's one of the most two active times of the year for sports, but especially for what you cover in college basketball. I mean, this is we've kind of reached the mecca um, of the college basketball season, and the most excitement of conference tournaments and the looming uh, March Madness tournament coming up in a few weeks. So let's talk a little college hoops. You ready to jump into it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's do it. So looking at the SEC men's basketball regular season, it was uh, it was it was a year, I'll say that. You can describe it in many different ways, but how would you recap the men's basketball regular season within the Southeastern Conference and what were some what are some of your big takeaways from this season? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that I probably see a lot of people talking about is that, you know, it's not like the SEC didn't have a great year, and, and I'm not one to, to sit here and just throw around and say, oh, I'm right about this or that, but but I did think coming into the season, it was going to be a step back, and I, and I know I told a lot of people that, and, and maybe some were not sure about it, just because, you know, you look back at the strength of the league last year, those top five teams, even top six, were really strong, and I think you we went into the tournament saying, okay, we feel pretty good about where these teams are at and feeling like they can win multiple games. This season, I almost think it's sort of the opposite because, you know, the strength of the top five or six is not as strong as it was last year. Um, and then the strength of the league as a whole, maybe not as strong either. Uh, but I think that parity has also created a lot of possibility, especially when it comes to, you know, this SEC tournament. Because I just think it's, you know, there, there's so many different ways this thing could play out. And I just think the overall parity in the league, because it was a league that has less experience than it had a year ago, I think that the expended three-point line, that also played a role. Uh, just, just lots of different factors probably for the SEC not to be as strong as it was a year ago. Yeah, you mentioned just the 
what happened in the league this year and teams, you know, just being all over the place, what really comes to mind is Vanderbilt beating LSU in Nashville a couple weeks ago, um, getting their first conference win, I think, in was it two years? Um, And so, you know, LSU ends up as the three seed in the tournament. Vanderbilt's 14, but – and, you know, that kind of gave them this, their stride. And then Saban Lee went off against Alabama scoring 38 points. And so the, it was it was all over this year. And I'm I'm one to, you know, confess my mistakes. And I thought the SEC could be one of the strongest conferences this year going into it based off of the success it had last year. And a lot of the big-name coaches and how some of those coaches in their second or third year or whether it was big-name coaches coming in for their first year. Um, but i I, I got to say, I mean, I was totally wrong. And – but there were a lot of teams that you know had some success and coaches and players that had success. So Blake, I want to ask you, who were your when you look back on the regular season, who were your players players of the year, coaches of the year, and who would be your team of the year? Yeah, no, I think you know if you start with the latter, I mean, I think you look at it with Kentucky. Uh, you know, they they probably I know, and everyone goes back to the Sevensville loss, but you know, I, it's just one of those things where I think when you watch Kentucky early in the season, then you see where they are now. You know, are they legitimate Final Four team? I'm not exactly sure still. We, we change our answer probably with each game with them, but uh, they're still a pretty strong team. And if they were to get to Atlanta, make a Final Four run, I don't think it would be that surprising. And I think you just look at it from top to bottom. Um, they, they were the most impressive team in the SEC. And then, you know, for Coach of the Year, that kind of, you know, segues into I know the coaches voted that it was John Calipari. And I said this I think it's a three man race um, between Cal. Bruce Pearl and Buzz Williams. Me personally, um, and, and reminder, we always say this, but everyone's criteria is different when it comes to, to how they view individual awards. You know, some people are going to value things more than others, um, and it may be the opposite for, for other people. But for me, I look at maybe what the expectations of a team were, maybe you know, before the season, early in the season, to where they are now. And I was, I thought Auburn was going to be really good. Now, I did not think Auburn would start the season undefeated the way they did. Um, but, but I did think Auburn was probably going to be one of the top three teams in the SEC, even though a lot of people thought they may take a big step back based on what they lost from last year. Which brings me to the reason why I would pick Buzz Williams, because Texas A&M was downright awful in non-conference play. I mean, they were, were losing to bad teams. Um, they were barely winning against bad teams. And for them to be the number seven seed in the SEC tournament, when I legitimately thought they may be the worst team in the SEC, you know, two months ago, um, I think that's as impressive as it gets. And for Buzz Williams to make that work, uh, I think he's probably the the coach of the year for me. And then player of the year, I also thought it was a three-man race uh, between uh, Mason Jones, uh, Emmanuel Quickly, and Nick Richards. Uh, And I've changed my answer a lot on that one. I've gone back and forth, and and I don't think you can go wrong with any of those three. And You can probably even throw Reggie Perry in there, too. But um, I think, for me, it's who's the most impressive player I saw this season. That's how I would judge the award if I was voting on it. And I think the most impressive player I saw this season was Mason Jones. Um, Despite the fact that his team finished 11th, I think you can make the argument that, okay, if Isaiah Joe plays in two of those five games that they lost in a row with him out – Arkansas is probably two or three seed lines ahead now, and we're having a different conversation. So I would probably pick Mason Jones for that one just because he was the most dominant player I saw this season in the SEC. He was electric, and when I saw him in Tuscaloosa, he put on a show. I think he had 30, and that was his second game with 30-plus, maybe at 35, 37, something like that, but he was such a good player. Um, 
and it's you know he, he hit a stride of just playing so well and he was consistent in playing well but putting up big numbers like 30 plus uh, you're definitely going to get the recognition that he got and the attention that he got Blake when we look at the SEC tournament this week um Regarding coronavirus and everything, there's just a variety of circumstances, and now that there's confirmed cases and Vanderbilt's canceled school and all that, that's really kind of an external factor. And Nate Oates today, I was at his media availability, he said that you know they're not really worried about it. That's kind of the trainer's job. His job is to be the head coach. But from your perspective, when we look at the SEC tournament, what do you, do you see any logistical issues coming up because it was just announced this afternoon that there would be no media availability in the locker room so before we jump into previewing the tournament um do you have anything to say about what logistical issues might arise in nashville in the coming days yeah it's very interesting and like we said we're almost in an, an unprecedented type of situation where it's almost and i keep saying this to people i mean things change by the hour at this point based on um, you know, people can come out and have a statement on, on what a tournament's going to do or what, you know, is going to happen this with that. But, I mean, you know, it, it's changing so much that, that it's hard to know exactly. You know, we've seen the Ivy League cancel their tournament. Um, you know, all, all sorts of measures that are being taken, and that is the thing, you know, and, and I pointed it out, I guess it was over the weekend, I can't remember exactly when it was, but, you know, when the, the first case started coming out here in Nashville, just in the, in the metro area, now more have come out since. Um, you know, and that's the thing too is I think it's it's interesting because you know the closed media access we saw all of these other leagues, you know, all the professional sports leagues are doing it. I didn't think there was any doubt that the SEC was going to eventually follow suit on that, uh, but it does you know represent some sort of problems I know for media members because you know as we know just getting that locker room access has always been important. Uh, gives you opportunities to write more stories, to write more uh, you know personal stories of players and different things and. Um, so it's a big, it, you know, it's a, it's something significant when it comes to, to covering the SEC tournament. But at the same time, you know, you see other people pointing out, well, you know, you, you limit the media's access, but but what does it mean for the fans in attendance? You know, you've got 15,000 people in there and you've got 50 media members. Um, you know, what, what's the, the significance between the two? Right. So, I just it is man and that's what I'm saying you know I look at it it's it's one of those where there's so much information out there and there are so many different opinions um it is it's hard to know exactly what's going to be the next step or what could potentially happen uh throughout this week because like we said you know we could go into Wednesday night everything be completely normal and by Thursday you know everything could change and we don't know the answer to that because that's how we're seeing this sort of trend going uh, with everything right now yeah and and you and I are not doctors and and there's a reason right. that we're we're this podcast is about basketball and we're talking hoops uh, but just a wild like you mentioned sir, uh, set of circumstances up in Nashville when you look at the tournament itself starting on Wednesday Georgia versus Ole Miss and Vanderbilt versus Arkansas who do you see advancing in day one and uh, and then we'll kind of get into those second round matchups yeah, I'm very intrigued by by these first round ones. Um, you know, the, the Wednesday night games traditionally. I know sometimes people are like, "Well, you know, this shouldn't be exciting." I think it's the complete opposite this year because if we think about it, you've got Georgia against Ole Miss, which Anthony Edwards against Bree and Tyree. You know, sign me up for that one. Um, you know, that should be a fun game. And I think you know, for Ole Miss, their ability to defend, I think, is going to certainly be important in a game like this. Just knowing what Anthony Edwards can do, and that's another storyline is. All of these teams in the SEC that have these just dominant playmaker type of guys, their ability to take over a game in a tournament setting is always interesting. And uh, I think you can see a good game like that. You know, that's virtually a toss-up when it comes to those two. But then you have that Arkansas-Vanderbilt matchup. And I've, I've said this to several people. 
you know, Arkansas, I could see Arkansas making a run to the semifinals. Like, I think they could win three in a row and get to a potential matchup with Auburn on Saturday, uh, just based on how the bottom of that bracket plays out. But at the same time, because of what we talked about earlier with the SEC this season, I could also see Arkansas losing to Vanderbilt. And I could see Vanderbilt winning multiple games now, which is not something we would have said probably a month and a half ago. Uh, because they are. They're playing as well as anyone. I mean, Vanderbilt and Texas A&M, the two teams we thought would be the two worst teams in the SEC, they are the only two with winning streaks coming into this tournament, uh, which is such a, a fascinating stat because uh, that's just kind of the, the season that's been in the SEC. So I think that the Wednesday night matchups are a lot more intriguing maybe than we've seen in recent years. So the winner of Vanderbilt-Arkansas against South Carolina and the winner of Georgia-Ole Miss will receive uh, and head up against Florida on Thursday afternoon, Alabama taking on Tennessee. We look at day two. Obviously, Alabama struggled against Tennessee earlier this year, not getting to the free throw line, getting out-rebounded, not having Herb Jones, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on for Alabama. Uh, what do we see on Thursday? Because you've got that A&M team that's, that's playing well, and you've got two teams in Florida and South Carolina that won't be sure who they're playing until Wednesday after Wednesday's games. Um, you know, there's not – to me, when you look at all these games, there's not a sure matchup. You know, there's not a, a sure – it's not a guarantee that A and M is going to beat Missouri, despite their playing well. There's not a guarantee that you know that, that Alabama Tennessee could be a toss up, and those Alabama fans that, that follow me aren't going to like that, like me saying that. But there's not a sure game on Thursday, and then for the rest of the tournament. Yeah, well, no, I mean, I would hope Alabama fans, you know, if they watch the Missouri game, I think you pretty much have an idea of, hey, if you come out and play like that, you're not going to beat a team like Tennessee, and so you would expect Alabama to come out with a bit more of a, a, a focused approach here. And we've heard, like you said, you know, Nate Oates talking about the effort and, and different things like that as he evaluates the program moving forward. But uh, I think the most interesting part to me here is, like you said, you know, it's that potential matchup of whoever South Carolina plays. Even um, Florida, I mean, let's think about it too. Kerry Blackshear, I know he's questionable to play in their first game on Thursday. If he doesn't play, you know, how does that affect Florida against either Georgia or Ole Miss? And then, what I, what I do think is the most intriguing one, uh, aside, you know, and not to overlook the matchup between Missouri and Texas a and I think that's probably going to be more of a defensive-focused game, and that wouldn't surprise anybody. But, you know, Alabama and Tennessee, these are two teams we've seen this season. When they get hot, they're good enough to beat anybody. And, you know, let's say one of these teams come out, play really well in this game, advance to play Kentucky. We don't know Ashton Hagen's status. Um, there are some questions there with the Wildcats. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that Tennessee or Alabama could beat Kentucky. It's going to be a challenge. We've already seen Tennessee do it in the past week and a half. Um, Alabama, with the way they shoot the three and the way they play offense, I mean, it, it's possible. And they played well at Rupp early in the season. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what that matchup is like for Kentucky on Friday because either one of those teams, I think, has the capability – to push Kentucky to the limit, uh, it's just a matter of they're going to have to play their best game, and that's kind of what it comes down to in that spot. Yeah, I think you throw a lot of the numbers aside. I mean, you've seen Auburn, even though despite you know being twenty-five and six, they're in, in twelve and six in conference play. Um, you know, they've had close calls and, and a lot of overtime games. And so you throw the rankings out, you know, when you look at, oh, this is a higher seed, they're going to win. That, that, when it comes to March, especially when it comes to the SEC tournament this year, you, you cannot look at the number beside the team name. Would you jump ahead to Saturday slash Sunday. Who do you see end up uh, coming out on top? Is Kentucky going to 
hold on. Uh, you know, they might struggle with Alabama. They might struggle with Tennessee. But do you see uh, who do you see advancing to the final and then you know clinching that automatic bid to the big dance in about a week and a half? Yeah, I mean, you, I guess you have to sort of stick with Kentucky to win that matchup, as you said, against either Alabama or Tennessee, although I wouldn't be shocked. I think Tennessee is, is the better, you know, matchup in terms of trying to beat Kentucky just because we've seen the balls do it. Um, but, you know, could, could the winner of this Mississippi State, potentially Florida game, I think Mississippi State probably um, is the, the team you look at there, especially not knowing Kerry Blackshear's status. What if he misses the entire tournament? Um, that would put Florida in a bind, I think, against a team like Mississippi State. So I'll bank on Kentucky and Mississippi State in the semifinal there of the top part of the bracket. Then the bottom, like I said, I think there's more opportunities for chaos. Um, but you're probably still picking Auburn against either Missouri or A&M, despite the fact that both of those teams just beat Auburn. Uh, but having Isaac Coro back, that's certainly a big difference. Uh, and then at the bottom, I, I tell you, I go back and forth because I could probably see, as I said, I could see any of the three of LSU, South Carolina, and Arkansas all getting to that semifinal on Saturday. And, and as I said, I could see Vanderbilt maybe potentially playing into to Friday against LSU. Uh, but I guess I will, you know, if I'm going to be interesting and just go out on a limb, I think there is a good chance that Arkansas could get there. But the safer pick is obviously probably LSU. And I know picking the top four seeds to make it to the semifinals in a year like this in the SEC is probably a dangerous thing. Uh, but I, I probably, you know, if we're just going by the matchups, you have to think that Kentucky and Auburn in the championship is the most likely matchup, not just because of their seeding, uh, but because they, they have been the two teams you've looked at this season. I know Auburn has struggled away from home, but when they have Isaac Okoro, I think they're a little bit better uh, away from home in that sense. So um, I will just I'll go with Kentucky and Auburn. And like I said, I think you have to pick Kentucky because you know, it's going to be a home game for Kentucky every single game they play in this tournament. It is every season. And uh, having that behind them, I think it should be another fun game, maybe another free throw shooting contest between the two. Uh, but uh, I guess you, you have to, I'll go with the, the chalk and pick Kentucky. It's always hard to get pick against Big Blue in March, especially in this SEC tournament. So smart pick there, Blake. I would I would say the same. Uh, but then again, you never know. And and the real magic happens, you know, like I said, in a week and a half when we see upsets and uh, you know games kick in first four in Dayton and first weekend and all that. So that's all upcoming. And when we look at that, last question here for you, Blake. Um, at March Madness. What any any wild predictions? Any kind of straightforward predictions in terms of when you look at teams? Obviously, you know we're talking Kansas, Gonzaga, Dayton. You know some of the top teams in the country. San Diego State's been able to stay, um, you know, up and prevalent and being one of the best teams in the country this year. Uh, but Kentucky at number eight in the AP poll. Like, where do you see uh, March Madness shaping out? And if you had to predict a Final Four and maybe predict a wild card. Uh, who would who would be in your final four and who would be a wild card to maybe make a run into the Sweet 16? Yeah, it's going to be a crazy tournament, as you said. I mean, it's just it's so unpredictable. And, and even, you know, not even knowing the matchups yet, it, it doesn't matter what the matchups are going to be. We know it's going to be unpredictable. Um, and as we said, too, you know, not knowing exactly what the tournament's going to look like uh, in terms of our fans going to be there. Like, it's just that there's so many unknowns right now with this year's tournament. Um, but I think you look at it, and I know it's easy to say this, but, of course, Kansas – uh, it's a team that stands out the most just based on, on how they played this season. Uh, they do feel like the, the strongest team in the country. There's a reason why they're number one. Um, and then, you know, with, with Dayton and Anthony Graham, we said it. I don't think this is just a case of 
of Dayton playing in the Atlantic 10, which some people want to make that argument. They've got a superstar player in Obi Toppin, um, Anthony Grant. I know how Alabama fans felt when he was there, but, you know, just talking to people, everyone knew that Anthony Grant was a good coach. I think it was just about the right fit at the right time, and I think we've seen that at Dayton. Um, and for them to be where they are is pretty impressive, and I think they're good enough to, to make a Final Four to potentially play for a national championship. Florida State's another team, too, and I'm not just trying to go down the line here with the teams that are ranked the best, but Leonard Hamilton, what an unbelievable job he's done at Florida State over the years, and I think they're 100% legit. Uh, and the same same with Baylor. I mean, Scott Drew's another coach. Him and Leonard Hamilton probably two of the you know, top five most underrated coaches in college basketball over the years. And so it's kind of fitting that they're both sitting here in the top five right now. If you throw out a wild card, I mean, really, you know, I think it's these teams that that we're talking about in these mid-major conferences like in East Tennessee State, um, you know, with Liberty, teams like that who are really, really good, and we've already seen them. You know, we saw Liberty beat Mississippi State last year in the first round. We've seen East Tennessee State win at LSU this year and played Kansas to the wire. Um, and so I think teams like that, like, you know, if you're someone that draws them as a five seed, a four seed, whatever, uh, I don't want to see either one of those teams because I think they're really good. They're really well coached. And uh, those could be the two teams. Even Belmont, throw Belmont in there. Like, Belmont's another team, as we've said over the years, that's had a lot of success. So um, a lots of mid-majors that, that are very intriguing this year, especially in a season like this where we feel like maybe there's not a ton of dominant teams at the top. It wouldn't be surprising if we see some of these mid-major teams make a deep run. One one team I've got my eye on, and that I saw the other day just walking by uh, TV, was Northern Iowa. And looking yeah. at the AP poll, they've got um, they had four votes for you know placing top twenty-five in the AP, but. Uh, playing really good basketball right now and of course they've got that famous win over Kansas in the second round I believe it was 2009 so over 10 years ago Um, but that 9-1 win over Kansas you know that that certainly could be a team to to look out for Blake but we've got a lot Uh, March is madness and uh, I'm really excited for the SEC tournament thank you so much for taking the time to come on podcast preview the sec tournament preview march madness because it's going to be truly a crazy month yeah no thanks for having me man i enjoyed it thanks again to blake lovell for joining the galloway podcast you can give him a follow on twitter at the blake lovell he works for a variety of platforms. He covers SEC and college basketball. He has a couple podcasts, Marching to Madness, Locked on SEC, and Clutch Points NFL. He's also a writer for the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Yearbook. So give Blake a follow on Twitter. He does a great job and really appreciate the insight that he provided for the SEC tournament and previewing March Madness as well. When we look forward here in the Galloway Podcast to the next segment, we're going to talk around and go around Alabama athletics. Now, We're going to start with Alabama basketball. We talked with Blake about Alabama a little bit, previewed the Tennessee matchup, kind of, you know, what happened last time and and what's going to happen in this game, maybe a little bit, but a little more overarching view of Alabama basketball. Finish the regular season 16 and 15. 8-10 Eight and ten in conference play will be the nine seed in the SEC tournament, of course, against Tennessee on Thursday in that second round. But a very, very flat finish for the Crimson Tide. Losing to Vanderbilt at home last Tuesday. Losing to the Missouri Tigers on Saturday in Columbia. I mean, just a lackluster effort when you look at the way Alabama finished the season. In fact, it's been a while since Alabama's won its regular season finale. you got to go all the way back to the 2014-2015 season 
under Anthony Grant. That was the last time Alabama won its regular season finale. Avery Johnson never got it done in four years. Nate Oates doesn't get it done in year one. Of course, there's the extenuating circumstances with injuries and everything going on, but that doesn't take away that one of his three core values is max effort. And the last week of conference play, there was not max effort. And that is, that's been the story for Alabama the past couple years. Uh, and it's frustrating to see if you're a Crimson Tide fan because he's trying to change the culture. And he said that in today's media availability. And we're going to get to that. But one thing he said in the previous media availability, he said, um, moving forward, we need everybody in this program to understand what kind of effort you've got to get. And if there's certain guys that aren't capable of giving us the effort we need to win games, there may not be a spot for them. But we're evaluating that. He said that, Charlie Potter tweeted it, and then that just really made me think, like, this guy is not messing around. I know there's only one senior on this Alabama team, but there could be just as much turnover from the Avery Johnson season last year to NATO's first season. There, you remember, there was a whole lot of turnover and rosters and you know guys coming in, guys headed out, transfers, and you could see the exact same thing this year um, because of the effort. Some guys, it's the effort's just not there. Plain and simple, it's not there. And especially when you as a team lose your last two of the regular season to a team you've beaten before both teams you've beaten before and one who finished last in the sec and you lose at home never mind saban lee had 38 points in tuscaloosa never mind vanderbilt shot the ball 54 percent from three maybe they wouldn't have shot the ball and shot over 50 percent from three if alabama had been giving max effort on the defensive end and when was locked into its matchups and this that and the other but I digress and, and move to a more humane side of talking about Alabama basketball. Someone um, tweeted something negative about the Oates family and, and Nate Oates' 15-year-old daughter, Lexi Oates, took to Twitter. And she said, For everyone saying that you've heard various things, such as my family hates it here, etc., I can speak on behalf of my family and say we love it here. And we love the people of Tuscaloosa, and we all love the University of Alabama and the opportunities that go along with it. And then I'm going to flash forward to this clip. Nate Oates said this in today's media availability. Uh, you know what? So I personally just get locked in to figuring out how to beat the next team, and you don't really get into that. Now, she's, she's on a travel volleyball team out of Hoover that played up in Louisville. So they got a six-hour ride home on the – team van boss whatever they're on and she's 15 and all over social media and I'm sure she saw some tweets from some from uh and here's the other thing late late so we're at alabama now there's a big fan base so i think again the people that i talk to you know that that are at the games they seem like they're pretty happy with where this thing's going nobody's happy with the, the results we've had in the last two games i mean I'm as irritated and frustrated as anybody. So for the fans to be frustrated is one thing, but for them to say what they said, whoever the irresponsible fans were, I mean, it is what it is. I tried to explain. So she tweets it. You know, I people bring it to my attention. I see it. At the end of the day, it's not the worst thing. I explained to her, like, listen, some of these people have no followers. Like, who cares? Like, they're probably not even real people. They're, they're a fake account. Like, who cares? Like, that's, there's perks to having this job, and there's downfalls. you got to deal with idiots. Like, 
when you respond to idiots, you actually give them some credence, like somebody's paying attention. Just don't pay attention to them. Like, I, I, I thought her actual tweet was good. We do love we, we love it here. My wife loves it here. My kids like it here. Shoot, it's up in the 70s today. My daughter's out doing cartwheels in the front lawn, you know, this weekend. We didn't get to do that where we were before. We, like, we, we enjoy it here. So whoever happened to say that we don't, they're, they got bad info. They're, it's an idiotic statement, and it shouldn't have been made. And 15-year-old girl, I, you know, I don't mind. She sticks up for the family, but we also told her you're going to have to ignore some idiots with your dad being in the job, he said. Now, that's a long clip. I appreciate you listening to it. And really, if you paid attention, you realize that, like, the age of social media, the fact that something like this had to happen is absolutely ridiculous. No 15-year-old should have to defend her family's honor on Twitter because of what some fan is saying. And, of course, there come lessons of maturity. And you got to realize, you know, like Coach said, his daughter is going ha- to take some heat and some criticism, and she just got to learn to deal with the idiots, like he said. And I thought that was a really good quote. Um, but Alabama basketball really, really needs desperately a run in this SEC tournament. And it may not happen because they've got to play Tennessee. And then you, you're looking the next day on Friday against Kentucky. And it would take a lot for Alabama, but it would it would speak volumes if this program could pick up two or three wins in this SEC tournament, which is a tall, tall task. But Alabama needs um, as much as it can get. So when we move on around Alabama athletics, let's head to the diamond. Alabama softball is now 14-8 and eight after defeating Arkansas this past weekend in Tuscaloosa. In the opening series of conference play, went 2-1 and one against the Hogs. This weekend, the softball team will participate in the T-Town showdown when BYU, Texas, and Bryant kick off spring break with another weekend showcase in Tuscaloosa. The tail end weekend of spring break, Alabama will travel to Tennessee to take on the Vols and another SEC weekend series. That'll be the first SEC weekend series on the road for the Crimson Tide. On the other diamond, Alabama baseball began its season undefeated 14-0. And then this past Saturday, Lipscomb soiled the perfect record when T.J. Reeves and Brad Bohannon were thrown out at the Joe. The guy calling balls and strikes heard it all from Brad Bohannon and threw Coach Bo out. In the seventh inning, the baseball team is currently 15-1. and one. The next home series is this upcoming weekend, the 13th through the 15th versus Missouri. So the Alabama baseball team will begin their spring break right here in Tuscaloosa going against the Missouri Tigers. It'll be the first SEC games of the year for the Alabama baseball team. Back to the hardwood, the Alabama women's basketball team, since we last spoke on the last podcast, they won their last four of the regular season, including two back-to-back wins over two top 15 opponents at Mississippi State and then at Texas A&M. So it's a huge stretch and a really positive note to finish the regular season. Unfortunately, they lost in the SEC tournament opener to Georgia. They're... Record right now is 18 and 12, 8 and 8. Not looking good for an NCAA tournament bid, but a successful um, season that ended kind of on a positive note for the Alabama women's basketball team. Women's NIT, a possibility we'll have to see. 
Alabama Gymnastics is 5-3 and three overall, 5-2 and two in conference matches. This Friday, March 13th, they will participate in Elevate the Stage in Birmingham. The SEC Championships will take place on March 21st. So Alabama Gymnastics wrapping up its regular season, heading into SEC Championships later in March. Also around Alabama athletics, the Crimson Standard is going well. Last week, Greg Byrne tweeted a series of pictures and videos showing updates on Bryant-Denny Stadium. You could see the new luxury boxes. You could see the locker room. They were all shells, and you know the walls aren't put up. The seats aren't in, but you could see where everything was, and you could see the progress. So that was really cool to see. You could see the new big screens, too. They're huge. So that's going to be a great game day improvement to the atmosphere inside Bryant-Denny Stadium. Y'all, in the spring, rowing is underway. Women's golf and men's golf are traveling the country, competing in prestigious elite tournaments. Check out RollTide.com to see a full athletic schedule of all the various teams and what's going on. The scores, news, and updates can be found on RollTide.com. Blake mentioned it, but the Galloway Podcast merchandise, I need to place a new order. Uh, We've got white hats in circulation. We've got gray hats in circulation we got some limited black hats that are no longer in circulation but i might bring those back thinking about t-shirts we've definitely got tons of koozies that you can purchase and every hat comes with a complimentary koozie dm me on twitter at wm underscore galloway for more information about how you can get your galloway podcast merchandise Hey, this is episode 37 of the Galloway Podcast, where today we talked about what's new in the world of sports and what's going on with Tua and his update there. And we talked to Blake Lovell about SEC basketball, and we talked about the March Madness tournament, kind of looked at who might make some noise this year in the big dance. And then, of course, as we always do, we finished looking around Alabama athletics. This is the Galloway Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Really appreciate you listening. Share this with your friends if you enjoyed it. This is the Galloway Podcast, where there's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway. Galloway.